Father, may your word be our rule. May your spirit be our guide. And above everything, we pray that Jesus Christ would be our chief concern. Even so, we pray, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Sorry, I had a cough drop in my mouth. I'm trying to avoid having a fit up here. But, as I said, we are in Advent now. And I just want to say this up front. The the more or the older I get, the more immersed I'm becoming. I'm not there yet, but I'm becoming more, I, I I wouldn't say immersed, more appreciative of the church calendar. And in particular, I am becoming more needing of Advent, if we're going to be very specific about one of the reasons, like Lent and Good Friday and uh, Monday, Thursday and Good Friday and Easter, all of that, super important. But for me, Advent is becoming a thing that I really need. Now, when I was growing up, uh, the church that I attended did celebrate Advent. One of the things we did was we had the Advent can- the wreath and the candles, just like we did now, or like we have here. But one of the things that was different about the way we celebrated it was, grew up in a church where we had the children's message, right? How many of you had the children's message when you were growing up? Oh yeah, right? And so the, before the sermon, the pastor would invite all of the children to come up and we'd sit on the steps of the chancel, right? And then for us, the pastor would sit down on the top step and we would all gather around and they would have a little message for the kids that was usually uh, very simple, very easy to remember and had some sort of tactile illustration, right? Like a rock or a paintbrush or a tool of some sort, just something like that. And typically the parents got more out of it than even the children and definitely got more out of it than they got out of the other sermon, right? So like that was the highlight of the service. But during Advent, the pastor would sit down there and they would begin to explain these different aspects of the season that we were in. They would explain the wreath, and they would explain the candles. They'd explain the four different words, hope, peace, joy, love. And then they would get up and they would light the candle. At home, we had an Advent calendar. Maybe you all have something very similar to that. And it was, my mom made it, and it was out of felt, and it had all these little pockets in it. And in each pocket was something that represented Christmas in some way. And then on the first, we'd open the pocket, the first pocket, and we'd hang it on this tree that she had also on the big felt thing, right? And we'd work our way down until we got to the 25th. And so Advent has always been something that's been a part of my life. But... More than anything, I think it was simply a countdown to Christmas in terms of how I thought about it, right? It was just to help build the anticipation for the day I got presents. But the older that I get, the more Advent comes to mean to me and the more in which, the more in which I'm beginning to, to, to need it. That in order for me to really enter into Christmas, I need Advent, It helps that we have children and watching our children's faces glow with wonder and excitement and anticipation as the Christmas season builds, right? They see the lights going up and the decorations go up at home and we've got our own Advent things that we do at the house. Like that, that our children, my children, help me enter into the anticipation of Christmas and into the Christmas spirit. But more than that, my soul, In order to engage with Christmas, my soul needs Advent. And I believe rightly understood, Advent should help us 
arrive on Christmas morning with expectant hearts. Because what Advent does, more than any other season in the church calendar, is it forces us to take stock of what is in the world and what is not. So, even when you begin to think about just where Advent falls in the calendar year, at least for us who live in the northern and western hemispheres, where it falls in the calendar year is... it, it, it pushes us towards Christmas without even realizing it. So Advent starts today, December 1st, and goes until Christmas morning on December 21st. And as we move towards December 21st, what happens to the physical days of the year? They get shorter, right? The days get shorter. The darkness comes sooner. And then when the darkness comes sooner, it lasts longer. The light that is in the world fades more quickly. And as our days get shorter, as the darkness creeps in faster, as the light begins to escape more quickly, we long for the nights to be over. We long for the long days to return. That's Advent. Or or think about this. On the one hand, we could see Advent falling in the calendar year where it does as the conclusion to our annual circulation around the sun. Right? We've almost made it all the way around. And as we conclude one year, we begin to reflect on all that's happened this past year. On all the good things that have happened in our lives. On all the bad things that have happened. On all that we did that was wonderful. And all that we did that was great. And all that we failed to do. Right? But on the other hand, it could be that Advent is right at the beginning of the next cycle around the sun which forces us to think about the future, about the dreams and the hopes that we have for the year to come, on the things that we want to do that we didn't do before, on the good that we might accomplish, on the new things that we want to try. And the truth is, Advent isn't either the end of something or the beginning. Advent is both. Advent is both the darkness of the world and the light that comes into it. Advent is both the dread that comes with Christ's return and the hope of restoration found in his coming. It is both judgment and grace. It is first comings and it is second comings. It's the end and it's the beginning. It's the already and it's the not yet. And so when you enter into the tension of Advent, of this light and darkness, of this beginning and this end, you begin to acknowledge all that that is and all that it is not, and and, and as you think about and dwell and persist in that reality, in that tension, in that uncomfortableness of, of naming what's so about the world, you begin to long for Jesus, and you find yourself ready to accept and embrace Christ breaking into the world and into our lives. That is Advent. And I need it. I mean, don't rush me to Christmas. I was joking with Kelly this morning. I hope I can say this, Kelly. But I was joking with Kelly because Kelly's like, yeah, we get to sing Christmas songs today. And I was like, no, 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 Advent songs. Don't rush me to Christmas. Because I need to feel this tension. I need to feel the dark creep in around so that I long for the light. Make me wait for it. Make me want it. 
This is why... This is why I think the book of Isaiah is so often preached during this season. The book of Isaiah is a book longing for and hoping for the advent of God in the people of God's lives. In chapter 1 of the book of Isaiah, we're told that he prophesied during the reign of King Uzziah. Now, Uzziah ruled over Israel from the year 790, 791, yeah, 791 B.C. to 740 B.C. So it had a pretty long reign in there. And it was a good time period for the nation of Israel. Egypt, to the south, was, uh, in, had internal conflicts going on. It was struggling. Uh, and, and so they weren't much of a threat to the people of God at all. Up to the north, you had the Assyrians, and the Syrians at that point were being harassed by all these other countries. And so they're fighting all of these conflicts all around the other parts of the nation or the empire of Assyria, and smack dab in the middle between these two are the nations of Israel and Judah, uh, the, 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 the nation of Israel, right? Israel and Judah, the north and south tribes. And so it, during that time where King Uzziah is king, King Uzziah is king. That was good. All right, so when he's king, you've got the southern Egypt. They're occupied with internal stuff to the north, Assyria. They're occupied with all these other people, and Israel is left to itself. And what happens during peacetime? The economy booms. Wealth is accumulated. The military is strengthened. And the people become rich and comfortable and secure and we can see all of this in Isaiah chapter 2. So if you've got your finger there, Isaiah chapter 2, look at verse 7. Their land is full of silver and gold. There is no end to their treasures. Their land is full of horses. There is no end to their chariots. Their land is full of idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their fingers have made. So people will be brought low and everyone humbled do not forgive them. So during this peacetime, Israel becomes wealthy. They become wealthy and they become strong as they build up their, their, their military, right? There's no end to their riches. There's no end to their chariots, which is a, that, that's, that's symbolic of their military. There's no end to their military. They've got it all. And yet, they've embraced these idols, They've walked away from God. They've abandoned God. And so none of what they have matters. None of their wealth, none of their security, none of their military matters before God. And we begin to see even how more of this is, happens within the life of Israel. So if you've got Isaiah chapter 1, starting at verse 10. I'm kind of hopping around, but this will make sense in a minute. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Now, I just want to stop right here. Isaiah, speaking the word of God, is now comparing Israel to Sodom and Gomorrah. We know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and it's often a story to look at the sexual perversion of a people and what happens there, right? That's typically how we modern-day people interpret that, that story, and we apply it then to certain social issues. But here, and in the book of Ezekiel, where Sodom and Gomorrah are referenced, what it's often referenced to is the injustice that happens between the rich and the poor. And Ezekiel, he comes right out and says, you failed to take care of the poor. And what we'll see here in a little bit, it's about injustice. So just keep that in the back of your mind. Verse 10, hear the, ruler, the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of your God, you people of Gomorrah. 
the multitude of your sacrifices. What are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and of the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Merry Christmas, everyone. Here's what you have to see. Remember, Israel is wealthy. Their economy is booming. Chariots know no end. Their military has been built up. And they are even participating in all of the religious practices. They're praying. They're offering sacrifices. They're celebrating the Sabbath and all of the other feast days. If there was a Merry Christmas, if there was a Christmas, they would be having their tree up. They would call it a Christmas tree. They would say Merry Christmas, but not Happy Holidays, because, but none of that would have mattered because they had abandoned the cause of the fatherless, the widow, the poor, and the oppressed. And Isaiah comes along and says, hey, things are about to change. You think it's all going really well. You think you're doing exactly what you're supposed to do because look at all this wealth. Look how strong we are. Look at how religious we are. But none of this matters. King Uzziah dies. And about the time he dies, there was a lot of internal strife that began to happen within Israel. Because despite the fact that they had all this wealth, there was huge wealth, <laughs> there was income inequality, so to speak. All of the money was concentrated among the elite, and those who were poor remained poor and oppressed, and the rich were getting rich off of the backs of the poor. The Egyptians begin to experience a revival. The Assyrians have defended off all the people who are who have been harassing them and are now are coming down out of the north to attack the northern tribes. And it's during this time of uncertainty and fear and conflict that Isaiah prophesies. What's interesting here is you have chapter 1, which is not very cheery. It's full of judgment and gloom. And you have the second half of chapter 2, which also, not very cheery, full of judgment and gloom. But sandwiched in between chapter 1 and the second half of chapter 2 is chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And that's where I want to look for the rest of the morning. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. 
In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears and into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Isaiah, after pronouncing judgment in chapter 1, moves on to prophesy that one day the mountain of the Lord will be established as the highest mountain. Now, in those days, temples were built on the top of mountains because it was thought that that would put you closer to the deity, okay? And the higher the mountain, the more powerful the deity. And the highest mountains, then, were reserved for the most powerful gods. And so when Isaiah says that the mountain of the Lord will be established as the highest mountain, what he is saying is that God will be established as the highest God, the most powerful God, the true God. And once God's place is established as the true sovereign, then all the nations will flock to God's mountain and his temple so that they can learn from God. And as they come to the mountain, the word of God will go out from the mountain. So notice the imagery here. There's this dynamic motion happening. The people are coming to the mountain. The word of God is going out. The nations come. The law of God goes out. And so there's this inclusion. All are coming. But there's also this exclusion as it's only one word that's going out. All the nations come, but they're only coming to one mountain. There's only one word that goes forth. There's a coming, there's a going. All are welcome at the one mountain. One word goes out, and that one word is the hope of all peoples. And so when God is recognized as the one true God, and once his word goes out into the world, then the swords will be beat into plowshares and the spears will be uh, beat into pruning hooks. In other words, the tools that were once used for weapons and for violence will now be transformed into tools used for the flourishing of all people to provide what is necessary for life. And the reason that we can beat our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks is because the nations will no longer have need for war. The enmity between peoples will no longer exist. The conflict over resources will be abolished. So remember that this is happening into a particular context into which Israel is facing war. There's internal conflict happening between people and there's the external conflict of Egypt and Assyria. And Israel is, or Isaiah is saying to the nation, one day all of this will end. One day everything that we're feeling The dread, the fear, 
the loss, the potential loss, the confusion, the despair. One day all of that will be gone. And one day we won't even need to feel those things ever again. Because one day all of the peoples will come to the mountain of the, of the, of the Lord and one day the word of the Lord will go out. And when the word of the Lord goes out, peace and harmony will be restored. Shalom will once again exist on the earth. I think that we're still hovering somewhere between chapter 1 and chapter 2 or at the beginning of chapter 2 or somewhere between the end of chapter 2 and the, the, or the end of verse 5 and the beginning of the rest of the chapter 2. Like we're still in that place where we're hoping and longing for, for, end, for conflict to end and to no longer needing the negative feelings. We are in this already but not yet. Already God has spoken. Right? Already God has given us the promise of salvation and God has taken on flesh and came, come into the world. Already the Holy Spirit has been given to us as our comfort and our guarantee. Already healing power is in our midst. Already God is healing people in our midst. Already strengthening of our faith is happening. Already God is using us as a, a, a frail people, a broken people to better a community around us. Already God is speaking to his people. Already God is restoring relationships. I am absolutely sure that if we went around the room, each and every one of us would have our already story. This is what God has already done for me. This is what God has already done for you. Like we could take time and give our already stories. But if we finished going through those already stories, you know what we could pick up? The not yet stories. Because not yet do all nations recognize the mountain of the Lord. Not yet do all the people stream to the one true God. Not yet are all the people who we pray for healed. Not yet. As children in our community go without food or are abused by family members and friends. Not yet as conflict breaks out in churches. Not yet as we hear about another mass shooting. Not yet when people think that they're superior to other people just because of their gender or the color of their skin. I mean, there's a, there's a whole list of things that fill this world with the not yet. And it's right into that that Isaiah speaks his vision of hope. There is coming a day. There is coming a day. And the mountain of the Lord will be established and the people will flock to it. The word of the Lord will go out. And the people will learn and will walk in the paths of the Lord. The hope of Isaiah one through five, 2, 1 through 5. But then it switches right back too. But not yet. You see, this vision that Isaiah gives us at the opening parts of his chapter forces us right into the middle of the world. We cannot escape it. We can't just hang out in those five verses without also recognizing what's going on around us. Because the vision, the hope, the longing, the anticipation makes sense only when we go into the darkness. Only when we go into the not yet. And so this vision forces us to go right into the darkness, right into the dread, right into the loss, in order that in that place we might proclaim the end of those things. That in the darkness we say, no, 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 this will not last because the morning will come. And so 
when you find yourselves in the not yet, when you find yourself in that place where your marriage is hard, where you and your spouse are having a difficult time getting on the same page because kids are requiring so much of you and you can't agree on how you should discipline them and every time you have a conversation about finances or about the job that you have, it brings up conflict, it brings up tension and it doesn't feel like it's ever gonna settle down because there's always this thing that's driving a wedge between you and your spouse and so it just feels heavy and it feels like it feels dark and you wonder how long this is going to last, you're in the midst of the not yet. But you also can recognize that your small group and your community of people around you and your close friends, they're praying for you and they're walking, for you, walking with you and they're giving you an, an ear to listen to your frustrations. And you are surrounded in prayer by people who love you. And you get a taste of the already or you're beating yourself up because you are your harshest critic. You know your faults. You know how you mess up. You know the things that you mail in because you didn't do them the way that you're supposed to do them. And you, and you just cannot give yourself any grace. The not yet. But you remember that Christ has gone to the cross for you and loves you and knows all the things that you've done, haven't done well, the things that you've messed up, the things you failed to do, the things that are still on your to-do list that haven't gotten checked, knows all of those things, yet went to the cross and died for you, did for you that which you cannot do on your own and continually extends you more grace than you would ever give to yourself. The already. Or maybe you're riddled with doubt. Been coming to church for your whole life, but have always had the questions and always had the doubt that have hung on the back of your mind and always felt like some sort of failure because of them. People around you talk about Jesus and they talk about faith and it seems to come so simple to them. There's, it doesn't, they don't have any struggle there. They talk about God's goodness and how they see God's goodness all around you, but you can't see God's goodness there because you see all the not yets. Let me just tell you, Advent is for you. Advent is for you because Advent is the season of the not yet. Not yet has Christ returned. Not yet do we see and clearly understand all that God is up to. Not yet has peace and harmony broken out. Not yet have swords been beaten into plowshares because nations no longer need to go to war. Not yet has injustice been obliterated. Not yet are the fatherless fathered. And let's just be really clear here that nostalgia and sentimental feelings about Christmas aren't enough to assuage the doubts that we have. Christmas cards that say Merry Christmas don't suddenly bolster our faith. But rather... Our faith is found in the very old confession of the church. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. That's our hope. That's what we long for. That's what we need more than anything else. And this is what Isaiah is pushing us to. 
It's not this bland, sentimental faith that covers over what's hard with cliches, but rather it's a gritty faith that says, acknowledge all of the not yets that exist in your life and hope for, long for what's coming. Isaiah's vision is grand. I mean, we can take it and we can apply it to our personal lives, but let's also acknowledge that it extends to the universe. If you were to look at, and you don't have to turn there if you want, I'm going I'm to read them for you, but if you were to look at the beginning of Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2, this is how Isaiah begins his vision. He says, Hear me, you heavens. Listen, earth. So right away when Isaiah starts his vision, he says, I'm going to give you something. This is a word from the Lord about what is about to happen, and it's not just for a singular group of people, but it's for you heavens. It's for you, earth. It's for the entire universe. It's for all of it. This is what God is going to do. And if you were to turn and you were to go all the way to the end of Isaiah and you were to look at chapter 66, almost the last verse, there's chapter 66 has 24 verses, but if you go to 20, verse 22, it says this, as the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and descendants endure. Do you see how big and how grand Isaiah's vision is? It starts with, hey heavens, hey earth, pay attention. Let's acknowledge all that's wrong. Let's acknowledge all that's broken, but let us not give up the hope because there is coming a day in which the heavens and the earth are transformed into the new heaven and the new earth and what is coming will last. This is the scope of Isaiah's vision. Yes, Isaiah's vision includes the hope and the longing for a Savior to come, but that Savior, that Savior, savior is bringing something new, something grand that will transform all of God's creation. That Savior, Jesus, will transform everything about our present and make new our future. That Savior will come into the darkness and push out until all that there is is light. That Savior will come into our dread and give us hope. This is the vision of God's redemptive work through his chosen Messiah, Jesus Christ, his Son. That's the vision, and that's our hope for Advent. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that into this world you came. Into this world you came and you began to address all that is wrong. You addressed things like mourning and sadness. You addressed injustice and oppression. You addressed the sin of individual lives and the sins of nations. You have come and named all that is not how it is supposed to be. And you have promised us that you will one day fix it all. And we've gotten a taste of it through Jesus 
and we long for the day in which he comes. So Lord, as we enter into this Advent season over the next four weeks, may we be a people who center our lives around hoping in the coming of Jesus Christ, that we hope and we trust in the coming of Jesus the first time, and we long for and anticipate the return of Jesus. Create in us hearts of expectation. Orient our, li- our eyes to look towards the mountains from which you will come to save us. Fill us with wonder as we consider the possibility of the God of the universe coming to save us from our situations, from our sin. adopting us as sons and daughters. This is our hope. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.